Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Yeah, some great product lines, huh? Some of the best, without question. Great pre-owned inventory. Oh, yeah. Lots of great pre-owned inventory. And you can check it all out at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. A big night, opening night for the Flyers with Kenny Albert on the call. The boards, puck taken away by Lafferty. Hayes regains. Down low for an attempt by Farabee. His third point of the night. It's also great to see Gritty in the audience. That's oh, yeah. Gritty. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, Urban Meyer to the Jaguars. He was supposedly seen at the Jacksonville airport uh, today by a group of reporters whose job was to stand outside the fence and see if he got off a plane. So, so let's go down to Jacksonville. Mike Dunoche joins us to who covers them on a daily basis for Jags Nation. Welcome, great to have you with us. Hey guys, how are y'all doing today? We're doing very, very well. All right, so give us the latest uh, between uh, Shot Khan and and Urban Meyer as to where they stand at this hour. Yeah, hammering out a deal at this point. Still trying to get everything all set and everything. All the I's dotted and the T's crossed, and then uh, I'm expecting, you know, there to be an announcement maybe later today or tomorrow. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to go into the weekend, uh, so we'll probably, like I said, see an announcement maybe later today, maybe early tomorrow. And supposedly uh, Meyer has already started to assemble a staff. Does that sound correct? Yeah, he's talked to some people. Um, he's going to... He's going to have some guys that he trusts that he's worked with before at the collegiate level on the staff, obviously. I think that's not anything that anyone should be surprised about. But he's also going to make sure that he stocks that staff with some guys that have a ton of NFL experience because, as you know, he doesn't. And a lot of the guys on his collegiate staff that he probably trusts and would bring with him, you know, like a guy like a Charlie Strong who is now working as a defensive analyst or consultant with Alabama, you know, has no NFL coaching experience. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's – it's imminent, I guess, is, is the word that everybody's using. And, you know, the people I talk to say, like I said, any day now, and maybe even any moment now. Is there any internal concern in the Jaguars about Urban Meyer's health? Because that is in part why he has stepped away twice. 
Yeah, you know, I asked that question, and I'm not hearing any of it, because if there was, they wouldn't be pushing to get Urban here. Now, Shad Khan, the owner, has a relationship with Urban Meyer that he developed over the last several years. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Shad uh, went to the University of Illinois. Uh, he still has home in, in uh, Champaign, Illinois, and has, uh, you know, some ties to the Big Ten. So they've kind of met before and have talked and, and you know, not necessarily about coaching in the NFL, but they've just sort of crossed paths, as billionaires kind of tend to do uh, with people, I suppose. And, um, you know, the, it, look, the, the, Shad's a smart guy. You can say what you want about how good of an owner he is, but he's generally, he's generally regarded as a smart guy. You're not worth $8 billion if you're not, and he wouldn't be willing to take this chance with Urban if there was any question in his mind whether Urban would be around for two, three, four, five, six years you know what I mean? If, if he thought he wasn't going to make it four or five years, he wouldn't do this move. What kind of control would Urban Meyer have over personnel? It would be pretty extensive. You know, Shad Khan told us, uh, I think last week, that it was going to be a 50-50 split pretty much with the, the GM and the head coach. They'll both report to, to Shad Khan so that there's none of that filtered messages that are getting through, um, which is something that he felt like uh, he was receiving the last couple of years. So, you know, I don't know at this point if he'll have the final say, but I know it's not going to be a thing of here are the guys that I've given you, Urban, you coached them. It's going to be he'll be very involved in picking the guys that he's going to coach, obviously through the draft and through free agency. What is the level of excitement in Jacksonville? Because they're not only going, you know, not only going to get Urban Meyer, in all likelihood they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. So now for a 1-15 in 15 franchise, what's the fan base like today? Well, it's funny because, you know, obviously Jacksonville is 75 miles away from University of Florida, so it's a big Gators town. And there are still a lot of Gator people that are mad at Urban for leaving the way he did and, and leaving the program in what they think was a, you know, a pretty bad state. So there's a little bit of pushback from, from some of those people. But overall, uh, this is as excited as I've seen the fan base. I mean, you gave him Trevor in December with, with the Bears' loss and the Jets' win, and, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You're watching these Jaguar fans lose their mind, and now they're thinking they're getting urban. I mean, it's this is probably the most anticipated offseason uh, in a long, long time, um, especially if they land urban. But certainly, you know, the Trevor Lawrence thing was big enough. But it's I'm interested to see what the impact will be on season tickets because, uh, you know, they have a skeleton staff at this point um, because of obviously the COVID situation, and they only allowed 17,000 people in there, so they really weren't in need of a big ticket staff. So they're probably going to have to bring a bunch of people in and, and get ready for a big crush. But I would be surprised if this doesn't create a huge demand for season tickets over the next several months. Maybe the most season tickets that they've had since uh, the 2018 season right after their run to the AFC title game. Yeah, it's interesting because I did uh, – I broadcast Urban's last game at Florida. Uh, okay. It was the Outback Bowl when they played Penn yep. State. When they played Penn State. Uh, I wasn't enamored with his roster at that point. Uh, and it's interesting that two of the guys that played quarterback in that game ended up being tight ends in the NFL, Trey Burton and Jordan Reed. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, you're right. You're right. It was uh, that was not a that was not a very talented team, but he had just come off those two national titles yeah, of course. with a load of guys. Yeah, I mean, but there was some work to do, absolutely. And that's why I think people were um, a little annoyed with Urban. I remember in the lo- in the post game interview after the 
the loss to FSU to close out the regular season yes. in Tallahassee. I think it was 31-7. to He's like, you know, we, there's some problems here. We're going to get it fixed. We're going to get this right. And then within two or three days, he had announced he had been he was going to step away because of health reasons again. But, yeah, that, that 2010 team, not a great team. Um, but, you know, he, I think fans – I'm not sure if fans understand what the, winning two national championships in a three-year span. I mean, that sort of should give you a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card, although that's probably that's probably the wrong term to use considering he had 31 guys arrested during his, his tenure in Florida. But, uh, you, yeah, you, you would have thought that they, there would still be a level of, gee, okay, it's not great right now, but, boy, thank you for what you did. But uh, there's still some people that don't feel that way. Yeah, remember, in, in, until uh, Galen Hall got there, Florida never won an SEC championship. Uh, people forget things like that. Um, all right, so this is a Jags roster that's not really it's it's not low on talent. I mean, because I think I think Miles Jack is good, Josh Allen's good, Joe Schobert's good. I think uh, DJ Chark, Lavishka Chenault, James Robinson. I mean, a couple of linemen, they're not completely devoid of talent. No, it's it's honestly not a 1-15 roster, but their biggest issue was excuse me, quarterback, and, and that was that held them back all Help year. Help is on the way. Yeah, you, would, you would think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are pieces here to build. Now, Josh Allen didn't have a great year. But, you know, he didn't have any help on the other side from him. But they do have some major holes you know, along the interior of the defensive line, for sure. They need some work in the secondary there. Um, they have, I mean, Tyler Eifert is okay, but they really need, yeah. uh, you know, a big-time tight end. But there are right. pieces here. This is not a four- or a five-year rebuild. I think this team, you know, while they finished with the worst record in the league, I, you know, I would think that if they lined up and played the Jets five times, they'd beat them four. Um, and, and this team, honestly, I've covered this team since 2013, and this team would beat the holy living hell out of that 2013 team that actually won four games. Right. I mean, it's not even close. If you go back and look at the rosters, the talent on this team is way, way better. But, you know, the quarterback is what's holding you back, and, and now hopefully you've solved that. All right. Uh, there's also the London component to this. You talked about tickets. Now, the London component has been off the table because of, of covid uh, what's your view on the London component? All of this that they play at least a game and they take one game away from the home base. Yeah, I mean, I understood why they did it because the London game made up eleven percent of their local revenue. Um, so that was something that they really felt like they needed. The league at the time that they agreed to do that contract, which started in two thousand thirteen, right. um, was looking for a team that they could have over there on a regular basis to sort of draw. Um, some interest. And, and the Jags worked out a pretty good deal because they had some expanded uh, marketing territorial rights over there, so they were able to make a lot more money on some sponsorships over there. Um, so I understand why they did it. And Jaguar fans had begrudgingly been accepting of the one game over there. This past year when they said they were going to do two, that one really stuck in people's craw. Yeah. But um, the contract has expired this year. Uh, the 2020 year, there's not going to be any London games next year in 2021, so we'll have to see how it goes forward um, in terms of whether they're going to be a team that wants to be over there. Now, look, if, if Urban and Trevor are the draw that we think they are, then they're not going to have trouble with ticket sales here. They're going to be able to sell some tickets. The stadium should be packed, um, and maybe that 
doesn't necessitate them feeling like they have to play one game over there um, you know, to make up some additional revenue. Now, the other side of that is you always want to make more money. I mean, everybody does. Um, <laughs> and that's why Shad Khan is worth $8 billion, because he's figured out a way to make a lot of money. So I wouldn't be surprised if they still manage to end up with a game over there. But the thinking of, you know, four games over there, four games over here, that's that, that's out of the picture right now, especially if they have success with, with Urban and Trevor. What I'm not saying that be a wrong way of phrasing it, but you've, you've always looked at, there's certain teams that you look at and say, geez, I wonder if they can keep going the way they're going. I'll give you an example. Florida Panthers down in Broward County, as an example. Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, they'd be vulnerable to moving. So there ain't been any talk quietly about, okay, can the Jags keep playing in Jacksonville? And if that has happened, what do these two moves, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, do to then negate that? Well, it's funny you ask that, too, because they're starting to talk about uh, the stadium is becoming an issue here. Them, the Jaguar Stadium and the Buffalo Stadium are the only two stadiums that haven't had significant yeah. renovations. Just so, yeah, just so you know. The yeah, the yeah, yeah, just so you know, Mike, I did the Gator Bowl in okay. 2015 there, so I've done, a, I've done a game in there. Okay, awesome. Um, so the, the, they want some stadium renovations soon. Uh, the lease is up in 2030. Um, it's going to cost a lot of money. So that's an issue that's sort of looming in the background here. The Jags just tried to shot Khan. I don't want to bore everyone. Shot Khan uh, just tried a development project outside of the stadium uh, that just didn't get city council approval. Um, so that was a big blow. Um, and now they're talking about maybe a four or five hundred million dollar renovation at the minimum for the stadium. So where's that money going to come from from the city? Um, so all of that stuff factors in. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, look, the, this is a, a franchise that's always going to be rumored to be heading somewhere. Um, but if they're winning, let's be honest, if they're winning, if, if, if 17 was the beginning of something and not just the one-year flash in the pan and they made the playoffs in 18, they made the playoffs in 2020, and, right. and fans were in the stadium, it would be less of an issue. Um, and if, if Urban can deliver – you know, I'm not going to say on the same level of college because it's different. Sure. And five loss, five six losses in college get you fired. Five six losses in the NFL get you a contract extension. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? It's a different beast. But if he can have the success that they did and make the Jaguars a perennial um, AFC South contender, a team that's in the playoffs four out of five, four out of six years, make a run to the AFC Championship game, maybe even make a Super Bowl appearance, then I think all that talk um, about them going away. Uh, to St. Louis or Toronto or London or wherever will just sort of fade into the background. Yeah. Uh, but you've mentioned a couple of times in this about Shotcon being worth $8 billion. Now, he's not <laughs> sitting there. He's not sitting there with a stack of uh, bills equaling $8 billion. This is assets and everything that goes into sure. it. Uh, is it possible that he that he does a uh, Robert Kraft or a Jerry Jones, where he has the capability of paying for a portion of his stadium and not throwing it all on on the backs of the taxpayer? Yes, because he's done it before. He spent um, I want to say, boy, the number eludes me right now, but I know he spent eleven million dollars of his own money to renovate the weight room. I know he spent $20 million of the $63 million it cost to put in those um, world's largest video boards. The city paid uh, 43 and he paid 
twenty, and then they split a ninety million dollar renovation okay. around the outside of the stadium, which yeah. was the indoor practice facility, the arena, or the amphitheater, and then redoing the club seats. So, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, he could be able to, to, to foot that bill himself if he chose to, but as we all know, you can spend someone else's money uh, and not all of your own money. That is pretty much the way that you want to go anyway, so we'll see how it has to go. But, uh, you know, this is going to come to a head maybe two, three years, and then okay. we'll see where we are then. Mike, an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it very much. Uh, great job in this story, by the way. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Call me anytime. Again, uh... A reporter covering his team with hope, optimism, positivity. We'll see. As opposed to fire everybody. Listen, it's definitely going to take more than a head coach and a quarterback to get more fans down there in Jacksonville. To be honest with you, as I pointed out in one of the questions, they might have, with the addition of Trevor Lawrence, more talent than your team. You're probably right about that, but will they have more fans? We'll see. The professional sports fan base in in Florida in general is not great, in my opinion. First of all, it's hard to tell anymore anywhere. I don't (laughs) know. I'm serious. I mean, I don't know who's coming back. We have to wait and see who actually comes back. Uh, that's going to be a big question, in my opinion, moving forward. You know, did some people become really comfortable watching the game at home? And you know, what does that mean? But at least you feel like there's excitement, positivity, togetherness. <laughs> As opposed to what I've had to listen to the last few days. All right, back with more in a moment. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. A franchise with positivity and hope. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, good for them. A franchise in disarray that feels it's entitled to another Super Bowl to add to the one they have in their history. (laughs) That's basically all accurate. Philadelphia is an interesting town. It really is. You are right. They are a longstanding professional sports town. Yet they have one Super Bowl, two NBA titles, um, two Stanley Cup championships, and two baseball championships. That's it. You think about that. Hence why the fan base is the way it is. It's uh, it's interesting. Now, let's be fair. There were, th- what, three other NFL championships? I want to say... Correct, 48, 48 49, 49, 60. 60. Right. But then with the 49 team, they, they might not have been the best team in football in 48 or 49. It may have been the Cleveland Browns. 
Burt Bell was going to teach the AAFC a lesson when they merged. Going to teach him a lesson. And Burt Bell was a Philly guy. So he put the two-time defending NFL champion Eagles against the Browns in the opening game of the season. The Browns' first ever game in the NFL. And the Cleveland Browns kicked the living daylights out of them. It was an incredible embarrassment for the NFL. Uh, they sat back and went, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> really? But, yeah, the, uh, and Buck Shaw was the last guy. Buck Shaw was a good coach, by the way. Buck Shaw, he coached the 49ers, Coach Cal, Coach Air Force. His three years with the Eagles, he did a heck of a job. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory. Fabulous selection, wide range of pre-owned inventory, all with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. Great sales staff that will work with you because price means everything to you. And also a fabulous service department to back it all up at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Uh, back on Monday, I asked Matt to give me a list of grievances about the Eagles. Uh, it is Thursday. I'm up to page 22 now, and uh, I've not had a chance to finish. <laughs> yet. It's just taking a little longer than I thought. All right. <laughs> James Harden was dealt by the Rockets at a four-team deal to the Brooklyn Nets. With that, we bring in Jerry Brewer. You know, uh, we we feel he's a top draft pick for us every time from the Washington Post. Jerry, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Uh, thanks for having me. I hope you didn't have to give up your uh, decade worth of draft picks to get me on the show. <laughs> no, no, no. We're we're good because let, we we always draft in a low spot anyway because we're pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to uh, let's get to the Harden trade first of all. Just your general impression as to how this four team deal. Uh, panned out, especially with Harden going uh, and being reunited with Durant. Crazy. I mean, we, we, we could see it coming for months, right? But the way that it went down and the fact that it involved four teams and Victor Oladipo was included mm-hmm. in the in the deal, uh, it just goes to show that, and I don't know that this is a good thing either, that uh, the disgruntled star always wins in the NBA. And uh, James Harden made it extremely uncomfortable in Houston, and they had to go ahead and pull the trigger uh, just to salvage their season. There's a sad part about this, but most people are going to be focused on the fact that Brooklyn has these three mega stars and these three very strange people and super egos all on the same roster, and how is it going to work? That was really well put, because that's exactly right. And you did hit on something that was going to be my next question, and I'll, I'll continue as a follow-up, and that is the ability of the star to force their way to a destination they want to be in. Anthony Davis essentially did the same thing. Uh, what is it about the power 
of the star in this league that no other star seems to have in another league? Well, I mean, for one, um, one great player, one truly elite player, and there's only really about eight of them in the NBA, uh, but w- one of those guys always puts you in the hunt, uh, at least for pl- for the playoffs. And so the importance of that guy is tremendous, and he holds an incredible amount of power. I would argue that the way that uh, franchises treat those guys they coddle them way too much and it only intensifies their sense of entitlement i don't think that's always a great thing for the league i think yeah the 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 best scenarios is when you get a tim duncan but you also have a greg popovich coaching him and a david robinson mentoring him and even though that guy has a tremendous amount of power and importance to your organization He's just the number one piece. He's not the be-all, end-all. And I think um, a lot of this is indicative of uh, just how poorly franchises are built and how poorly they operate, that they have to create a savior out of someone who should be a franchise player but who shouldn't be the entire franchise. I think that's the heart of it. That's how they acquire so much power because they have so much importance because their franchises don't know what to do besides lean on them. Is there a concern in your area that the blueprint that was seen for Anthony Davis, the blueprint we just saw for James Harden, could be a blueprint for Bradley Beal exiting? Yes, and he's a different kind of personality, but I think when these guys get fed up, they know exactly what they need to do to get out of there. Their agents are advising them, uh, if you want to go, you're going to have to make life difficult. You're going to have to make it so that they can't get anything done as long as you're on the roster. And, and uh, it, it gets more and more troubling. Remember how we were all freaking out over the way Anthony Davis and, and Rich Paul and Clutch Management handled that situation. Right. James Harden's situation was way more diabolical. I mean, he was uh, going to gentlemen's clubs uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and just blatantly violating protocols. Not to mention, like, I mean, how much weight did he gain in the shortest offseason in NBA history? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing the short period of time suddenly out of nowhere he packed on some LBs fast. Yes, it, it was amazing. And then, uh, you know, they've, uh, they're not the greatest team in the world, and they're not, they weren't going to win a championship. Right. But Houston did do some interesting things there. They, I mean, John Wall and – the Marcus Cousins, now that those guys are healthy, you add Christian Wood, uh, you still have guys like P.J. Tucker. That was very much a team that that was a playoff team and probably a number four to number six seed if they uh, played to their potential. And he just had no interest um, in, in even helping them, no interest in uh, even competing uh, for, for their new coach. And I think that was just a uh, – it spoke very poorly of Harden, um, who's one of the all-time great players already at age 31 that we've ever seen in the NBA. But it just speaks really poorly of him. And now that he's in Brooklyn and reunited with Kevin Durant and um, has Kyrie Irving, if Kyrie Irving even cares about playing basketball anymore, (laughs) it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on him to do more than just win. I mean, if they're not in the finals against the Lakers, it was a failed season. And 
um, if they if they don't come at least come close to a championship while they're together, what was this whole experiment worth? I mean, the, the stakes are tremendously high, not just for the Nets, but for those stars individually, but in particular for James Harden, who just took a situation and took a franchise that had been nothing but good to him and burned the bridge like we've never seen any star burn it. And we've seen plenty of stars burn bridges in this so-called player empowerment era. What kind of pressure, in your opinion, Jerry, is there now on a rookie head coach and Steve Nash to manage this? Uh, tremendous. And he's fortunate that, on one hand, that he has Mike D'Antoni, uh, his former coach, right there as his associate head coach. Exactly. However, we know one thing. We know Mike D'Antoni's won a lot of games and produced a lot of great offenses, but he's never won the big game. He's never gotten to the finals. And that's how he's going to be measured. And it's just... I mean, from a basketball standpoint, this is a tremendous challenge for a first-year head coach. But from a, a, a management of these personalities, it's an impossible task even for Phil Jackson yeah. um, if he came back and coached the Nets. And so um, that that's not the kind of soft landing that we often see for new head coaches. But that's why Steve Nash took this job, because he could win immediately, and now the burden is on him. Well, in part two, they also play and have to play the way Steve Nash didn't play. Steve Nash was about getting the ball to everybody else. Yeah. And then if I need to make a, a shot, I'll, I'll make a shot. It's my, t- my turn. He doesn't have any players like that on his roster, does he, that plays the way he plays? Now, I, I think you could argue that, that Durant um, is capable of playing in any style. Uh, his, his versatility and his efficiency that, as a player I agree with reminds that. you of Nash, but he's not a point guard. All right. um, he's a seven-footer. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I, I don't think that he can be the glue element on your team. He's your best player. Yeah. Um, he's also not, not, not the leader. He's not the leader that, say, LeBron is in that, like, you know that when you play on a team with LeBron, it's his team and he is going to impose his will on the entire situation, which makes everybody fall in line and creates a scenario in which LeBron is kind of the beacon. Kevin Durant has always been, I'm me, I'm going to do me, and I'm going to chill. That's what his Twitter, <laughs> uh, uh, what his Twitter bio says, and, yep. and that's how he plays. And so you need somebody else to kind of be that beacon. You know, Steph Curry was the beacon, yep. but LeBron, but, but KD was the best player. I don't know what the connective tissue on that team is. We've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, and, and I make this point, for trios to work, one guy always has to accept being the third guy. Chris and Bosh. Chris Bosh, Ray Allen in Boston. Yep. Um, Clay Thompson, who is yes. uh, a great third guy. And let's take it even further back to the Lakers um, of the 80s. James Worthy. Oh, yes. Maybe the greatest the greatest number three type in NBA history. Big that, game James. He, he always he, rose to the occasion when you needed him, similar to what Clay Thompson has Dennis, done in modern times. Dennis Johnson with the Celtics. Yes. You know, those guys that, that – um, they're going to make sure the wheels don't fall off. If you need them to score 30, they'll score 30. Yep. If you need them to play a game across the board, they'll play a game across the board. Um, they're always efficient in what they do. Uh, 
who is that for the Nets? It's supposed Kyrie Irving is their third best player, but Kyrie Irving requires more maintenance oh. than Kevin Durant and James Harden combined. <laughs> and it's not like James Harden and Kevin Durant are low maintenance guys. <laughs> the Jersey Turnpike needs less maintenance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Then, then, then Kyrie Irving. Uh, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, what's your thought process today after seeing this? I mean, I think you're saying, oh, damn. Yeah. Like, uh, if that, uh, you still have possibly chemistry on your side in that your pieces fit better. Yes. Uh, I know they, they made some big moves in the offseason, but. Uh, this is a best, you know, a best and the most stars win when everybody has their head on right in the postseason. And Milwaukee is looking at a team that has, uh, you know, in Brooklyn that has two top five players and one top fifteen player. Right. Brooklyn, uh, the, you know, they look at it and they counter with Giannis, the two-time MVP, one top five player, and then in Chris Middleton, you've got uh, a top twenty, top twenty-five guy, a really good player, mm-hmm. but. Not not James Harden to your Kevin Durant, and then you've got in Drew Holiday uh, a great winning, um, you know, ferocious defensive competitor who can score, but he's not exactly Kyrie Irving. Um, he's, he's more maybe a top thirty type of player, and uh, they have to they, they have to take a look and they, and they have to you know if there's any opportunity to to add another star. Uh, maybe it's a Bradley Beal, you know. That they got to take a look at that because on talent alone, you can no longer consider them a favorite. You can consider them at best um, a one B on paper. And let's not forget that uh, you're looking at the Sixers, uh, who have more star power on their roster than you do. The Celtics uh, have more star power if they're healthy yes. on their roster than you do. That's right. It has gotten incredibly difficult for the Bucks. Uh, they really seem like a team that their window was the last two years, and they didn't make to the finals in that window, and now they're in trouble. Uh, Victor Oladipo was growing uh, increasingly uh, uneasy in Indiana. What kind of rebirth can uh, Houston be for him? We'll see. It seems like Victor Oladipo's end game is to get to Miami if Miami can finagle the cap space and maybe he takes a little bit of money next summer. Uh, I still think that's an odd fit with the the way that they're going. Uh, They're an interesting kind of redeemed team in Houston. John Wall uh, had to come off of a ruptured Achilles, and um, and then then you've got Victor Oladipo coming back from a major injury, DeMarcus Cousins coming back from two major injuries. Uh, They still look like a playoff team to me. And uh, maybe maybe even as high as a number six seed, and that could be a dangerous out if those guys are healthy and explosive. And I think Victor Oladipo needs to seriously consider re-signing in Houston if things go well. Uh, but it seems like the Rockets thing is let's remain as competitive as we possibly can as we sketch out how to rebuild. And that's probably not going to be great for Oladipo. Uh, it's weird that he, he goes uh, to a, to a home, you know, kind of a homecoming, going back to where he played college, right. and everything was good until he got injured. Right. And I think he got a little jealous of the fact that that is now Sabonis' team, and he needs to play a little bit more of a role. 
he's not good enough to be someone who is going to be able to make it his own show. And so he has to figure out what's going to make him happy. And that's the problem in this, in this era of just player mobility in the NBA. Some guys just move because they think it's the it thing to do right. as opposed to really considering what's best for them. One final question, Jerry, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, football and basketball are obviously different, but something that makes the NFL universally popular, besides the fact that it's football, is there's a there is a parody to it, to steal the Pete Rozelle word. In the NBA, there's haves and a, and a lot of have-nots. What is the health of the league, in your opinion? Maybe it's just healthy to have haves, but to have so many have-nots, is that a problem? It can be. It's something that you have to watch out for, and I think if, um, you know, say if, if, if Golden State had continued on, um, you know, they probably would have won a third championship. Let's say Durant and Thompson don't get hurt right. and they all decide to stay together. I mean, we might be talking about a team that had won four straight and nobody had really touched them. I mean, I think that becomes a bit of a concern. But the NBA is the NBA is about drama. It's about the soap opera element. It's about what the personalities are doing. Yes, and it's about, um, you know, I mean, they're, they're always – in between dynasties it seems in that league and it's been able to prosper in that way for some reason i don't believe in forced parity and one thing that concerns me about the nfl is i think too often uh the parity is legislated as opposed to something that's natural but it's a balancing act trying to Mm -hmm. figure trying to figure it all out and there have been seasons in which there have been dominant dynastic teams in both of those leagues um, that were awfully compelling. Um, and then there's been seasons in the NFL that have had uh, great, great parity, um, but they haven't been as compelling as we would have thought. So there always needs to be a standard. But the biggest thing I would say is that you have to think that you're seeing excellence. And there has to be enough teams chasing excellence, even if it's not the largest potential number, for there to be some kind of a drama. And that's kind of how you balance it and determine whether you have enough parity or you don't. Um, but it's uh, it's always very tricky. And sports fans, because we're allowed to be, are incredibly fickle. And uh, it's always a matter of, well, not exactly what the situation is. It's how does it look and how does it feel. And do, do the stars um, evoke enough emotion or provoke enough emotion for us to really be intrigued. Um, that always comes down to the question. That always is the question it comes down to. And um, it's uh, it's fascinating. And I think too much of one thing we get bored with. And so we always need every five years ago for there to be some, some shift. Fun and fascinating conversation for me. I really enjoyed it, Jerry. Thanks so much for your perspective. Oh, anytime. I appreciate you. Jerry Brewer, Washington Post. We'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. 2020 was not what anyone expected. Nor did Sunbury Motors Kia think they would have their best new Kia sales in the last 22 years.
SMC success is because of PPP. No, not alone. But people, product, and price. We have the same great people. Now listen to the product and price for 2021. Choose from 11 2021 Kia Fortes starting at 18665 Saving you 2640 The Kia Sportage all-wheel drive is discounted up to 3775 Sportage is start at 23490 With 22 in stock. You have to see the all-new redesigned 2021 Kia Serrano. Now with available second-row captive chairs. Buy this mid-size all-wheel drive SUV for 31990 2021 will be even better because of PPP. People, product, and price. Sunbury Motors Kia on the Golden Strip. Routes 11 to 15, Hubble's Wharf. I received uh, several emails from people that love hearing your pain. <laughs> so I just want to open up the floors. Or is there anybody else? I mean, you tried to fire Mike Tomlin. You want to fire Jeffrey Lurie? Is there anybody else besides me? Um, no, we're all good. I never want to fire you. And actually, I, I applaud Daryl Morey for not succumbing to giving up the world for a guy that, to me, has gone completely off the edge in James Harden, as we just talked with Jerry Brewer about. I, I think anybody... I think anybody who picked up James Harden and gave up a lot of talent to do it... Big mistake. That has more of a chance of blowing up in the Nets' face than them winning a title. It's all going to depend. You know, sometimes you'll get a star that goes to a team and they get it. They want to win a title so badly, they get it. And they understand what's my role in getting us to win. Let's go way back in the annals when Oscar Robertson went from the Cincinnati Royals, awesome player, to the Milwaukee Bucks. He saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there and said, that's my ticket to winning. I'll fit in. In a lot of ways, Will Chamberlain did that when he went to the Lakers. I'll fit in. 